It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us. Now, alongside us in the studio today, I am very excited because the official Times Chief Stats Officer, Bill Edgar, is here. And down the line, no disrespect, Bill, but it gets even better, it's the Times Chief Football Writer, Henry Winter. Later on, because we just can't get enough of it, we'll be discussing that man, Marcelo Bielsa, again. But we start with a pivotal game in the race for the top four at the Emirates. Arsenal host Chelsea on Saturday night, and it's certainly been an eventful week off the pitch for the Gunners. The defeat at West Ham on Saturday was set against the backdrop of the absence of Mesut Ozil from the matchday squad. Uh, Henry, as is well known, he is the highest paid player at Arsenal, but has been left out on multiple occasions. What do you make of the relationship between Ozil and his manager Unai Emery? I find Emery quite impressive on this because I think he has challenged Ozil. He has put him in on occasion. I think he had a very good game against Leicester, but he's challenged him. And he was talking in an interview, I think with Sky yesterday, Emery, about how he enjoys, and he used the word friction, to stir up players, to motivate them. And a lot of the leading managers do. Sometimes it's the arm around the shoulder and sometimes it's the, come on, you've, you know, it's the it's the Tony Adams shouting down the bus at Dennis Bergkamp after a game at Ewood Park. You know, you've, you've got all this skill, but you, it's a pity you haven't won more. It's a question of challenging people and Ozil needs to be challenged. As you say, he's on 350 grand a week. Um, probably not the wisest thing to give him a contract like that. It needs to be more performance related to him. But Emery is trying to drill down into the soul of Mesut Ozil and say, you are such a good player, but you're not delivering more. And from Emery's body language, I think he wants him out of the club. But then, which is it? I mean, is he doing this as some sort of big motivational technique, raising the stakes even higher by saying, like, why don't you go elsewhere? thinking it's going to be some sort of big psychological game? Or would he rather not have him there and have an extra 350 grand a week to spend on, on, on wages? Gab, I think, it's, uh, I think it's the latter. I think he wants to free up the, uh, the, the wages. He wants, because he's tried at the start of the season, he's tried challenging him. He's used friction. He's tried to say, listen, you know, you're such a good player. Go and deliver. I mean, I think looking at Arsenal squads, a formation of Özil as a number ten in the right mood, 
not necessarily tracking back, but you know, Ozil's not simply not going to do that because you've got Torreira and Gundogan behind him. Maybe you've got that platform, and then you have Lacazette and Aubameyang as a central two with Aubameyang drifting wide. I think you've potentially you've got a fantastic strike force, but I think Emery, judged by all signals coming out of Emirates and London Colney, is that he's looked at Ozil, he challenged him, he's used this friction. And he hasn't got the response he wants, and I think he will be quite. I don't think Ozil's going to leave now, in the in the transfer window. But it's <laughs> unless he produces something fantastic and seizes his chance, the rare occasion he gets it, I think he's leaving Arsenal. But here's my thing, um, and this is what I really struggle with. First of all, I understand if it's you know a, a real top of the line man motivator, scary manager who goes and challenges you like that. I would imagine Sir Alex Ferguson could do stuff like that and it would work. But here you have a guy in Unai Emery who's got a collection of Europa Leagues and who, you know, was sacked by Paris Saint-Germain. He, I don't know that he necessarily... And he was in six months into his first season. While I like him, I like the way he plays. You know, his team are are in serious danger of finishing sixth again because obviously the momentum is with is with United. I'm really impressed that he feels he has the stature and the backing to go and do that or to think that this, these ploys would work with Mesut Ozil, who, you know, he's not a young player. You know, uh, I, I love the fact that you raise the, the, the Tony Adams-Dennis Bergkamp thing because in some ways when Adams was having a go at Bergkamp, Bergkamp was, was new to England. You know, he was coming off uh, a, a massive failure at, at, at Inter Milan. You know, he was somebody, somebody who probably had something to prove, so you could push those buttons. Ozil leaving aside his own personality, somebody's like, you know, I've won World Cups, I've won stuff that matters, I was at Real Madrid, you know, you've got a squeaky voice. And on top of that, I don't even know you have the leverage because he's one of the two highest paid players in the Premier League. I cannot imagine a football team that would take Mesut Ozil on, except maybe somebody in China, on those wages. Bill, what do you think Emery hasn't liked about Ozil's performances then? Mm-hmm. I think he's just frustrated that uh, he's seen Ozil at his best. And at his best, he is a £350,000 a week player. But uh, at his best. But unfortunately, he only he produces this uh, very rarely. Um, far too often, uh, I know people have said this a lot, but far too often in the, the games against the weaker opponents. Usually, if Arsenal are playing well, he is playing well. And if Arsenal are playing badly, the other team's dominating, he's, he's pretty anonymous. So... This is Emery's frustration. He's thinking, well, I've, I've just got to force something out of him. Either, you know, drop him, leave him out of the squad altogether to try and somehow prompt Ozil to have a rethink and reboot and show his talent for 90 minutes every game. Uh, or just to, to make Ozil think, well, um, it's just not working at Arsenal. I, I, I better leave. And that will free up a lot of wage money. It's a complete mess behind the scenes. There's been absolutely no guidance no direction given by uh, Stan Kroenke. And in a way, it might help Arsenal long-term if they do have a a long spell out of the Champions League because that actually might wake Stan Kroenke up to realise that the team was drifting onto the pitch under Arsene Wenger. Everyone could see that for the last five or six years. The club has been drifting within the, the building. Talk to people who spend time at Arsenal within the building and there is a frustration there, partly at some of the cost cutting partly at some of the they've lost the Arsenal way Arsenal always this, this is not necessarily a Hillwood thing this is an Arsenal just had a certain class a certain way of dealing with 
with staff, and I think that has been eroded under the Cronkia era. And particularly, the problem has been in recruitment. There's been no direction there, and now it looks as if Sven Nisselentak, who brought in Aubameyang, who's got a fantastic eye for player, if he is thinking of leaving because he's not being considered for the technical director's job, then again, that's a complete mess. And look, the film of Stan and Ollie is out at the moment. If you talk to Arsenal fans, they are asking why Gazidis is not in that film because this is another fine mess. He has scarpered off to Italy. Okay, he's getting well paid there, but he's left a huge mess behind. And I have huge sympathy for Unai Emery because he has walked it. Obviously, he wanted a job. And I take your point. He is not a world-class manager. He's not a Pochettino, a Klopp, a Guardiola. We're looking at the, you know, the great talents in the Premier League. But he is, he is the sort of pretty much the best of the rest. He's a very good second-tier manager, probably Arsenal's phase at the moment, a Europa League expert that they could get in. And I have huge sympathy for him. And that's why I will support him. First, because of patience. He deserves a chance. Secondly, because he has inherited a mess on the field and off the pitch. And I actually admire his dignity and decorum in dealing with it because I think other managers with shorter fuses would have exploded by now because it is it is pretty chaotic behind the scenes. Okay, so you touched upon, I think this Gazidis thing is important because mm-hmm. let's apportion not blame but responsibility. I wrote a piece about this earlier in the week. Around about a year ago, in the space of 10 days, Arsenal made three enormous, enormous decisions. So... They knew Sanchez was leaving. They decided to to take a player in part exchange, Henrik Mkhitaryan, who earns round about 180 grand a week, and is it's an enormous deal, and it's a deal that goes on until 2021. And in the past, I think since arriving, he has started all of 18 league games for Arsenal. They decided to extend Mesut Ozil's deal, making him the highest paid or second highest paid player in the Premier League, depending what you believe Alex, Alexis Sanchez makes. Um, and they decided to go and sign Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who Arsene Wenger turned down in the summer. And they also gave him, frankly, an enormous contract. I mean, you know, Aubameyang's been very productive, but he makes Harry Kane money. These were three huge calls because none of these guys, they were 29, 29, 28 at the time. They're all a year older now. None of these guys have any resale value. Um, the people who made those decisions, and I'm told by somebody who's one of those three people, that it really was a triumvirate making the decisions. It was Raul Sanyehi, it was Sven Mislintat, and it was Ivan Gazidis. Those three guys made that decision together. Ivan Gazidis has since left. Sven Mislintat is is on his way out. What I find extraordinary is that if you go all, all in on those three players, you've built a team to win here and now. Wenger was not part of that decision making. Dick Law was gone. Rowley was gone. All those, those, those people from, from before. If you do that, when you interview your manager in the summer... You should be able to tell them, like, guys, hey, listen, new manager candidate, we have put all our eggs in the basket with these three guys. Can you make it work with them? How will you make it work with them? And to me, that's the enormous breakdown. They've committed one-fifth of their wage bill to three guys who have zero resale value. Emery came in, and I'm sure he thought, yeah, Ozil will be a big part of my team. And now, three, four months later based on what he's seen. It's not like Emery's doing this because he's, he's mean or evil or incompetent or wants, uh, you know, wants Arsenal to, to miss out on Europe. He did it because he thinks it's, it's the right decision. But to me, it really is these huge decisions that have now had this massive knock-on impact. Two of the three people who made that decision are out of the picture now. 
when Ivan Gazidis hired Sven Mislintat, obviously you're hiring a guy who comes from German football, who is primarily uh, a scout, um, and who you know works a certain way. And then you're hiring Raul Sanyehi, who obviously a football man, was director, sporting director of Barcelona, but works in a very different way. And a guy who, you know, hasn't always had that sort of technical role. You know, he worked for Nike, I believe. He's done a bunch of different things. Both have a lot of contacts, but they come from two very different cultures. They either cross-pollinate and it's wonderful and their minds are all opened and they all get along, or they don't get along, there's a clash, and there has to be somebody who's in charge. And without Gazidis there to mediate, is that the reason that, that we're seeing this kind of implosion? Well, Gazidis has been part of the problem for the last four or five years. I'm, like, I'm not a fan of his. I'm like, we've, you know, we've, we had our <laughs> quite a few disagreements. Um, but Gazidis is symptomatic of the problem of Arsenal in the conquer years. I think what the club need is stronger direction from the owners, actually showing an interest in the football side of the club rather than simply the the, the money side in the side of the uh, club. I mean, they're you know they're they're the Glazers with with a, with a sort of ski ranch. So absolutely, what I would like to see Conky do is appoint a proper replacement for Gazidis, who then draws all these talents, as you say, individual talents into line. And you do have this cross-pollinization and it improves the whole recruitment structure and the executive structure. Well, it is Chelsea then that come to the Emirates Saturday evening. They are fourth in the table, six points ahead of Arsenal. And it looks like, uh, well, looks very much like Gonzalo Higuain will be arriving on loan, reuniting him with Maurizio Sarri after they worked together at Napoli. Bill, will the Sari ball be more achievable with Higuain in the side? Yeah, I, I think Chelsea need a lift at the moment. Recently, they had a couple of young English players, Hudson Odoi and Loftus Cheek. They were both playing very well, but now Hudson Odoi, there's talk of him leaving for Bayern Munich. Loftus Cheek has got a back injury that could keep him out for quite a while. So there's a slightly downbeat feel to things. They were much more free scoring earlier in the season. They got three or more goals nine times up to the end of November. They've not done it since at all. Um, Maratta and Giro are still still haven't be, been able to become prolific. So certainly getting uh, Higuain in as the a new striker, I think, would lift things a lot. And he's uh, uh, familiar with Sari, so uh, perhaps it would uh, be a good move. This thing about the mood is bad and so on. I mean, they're six points clear of Arsenal and Manchester United in fourth place. They are one point behind Tottenham. You know, Tottenham, the team is so fantastic and blah, blah, blah and whatever. They're one point behind Tottenham. I don't think, you know, this is something where, where you roll the dice. I think this is important because it shows that Sadi got his way, right? Sadi really wanted Gonzalo Higuain. Uh, I'm really curious to see the terms of the deal because certainly the sense I got from Chelsea was that initially there was talk, you know, this has to be a permanent deal. There is no way that Chelsea were going to go and, and pay what would be a minimum of 45 million euros, around about 40 million pounds for a guy who is 31 years old. And on top of that, and this is the most important part, has two and a half years less than his contract, a contract that pays him nine and a half million euros a season net, which if you do the numbers is Ozil type money just about. Um, not when Chelsea have other priorities like trying to extend Eden Hazard, trying to extend Callum Hudson-Odoi, who, who for now is, is not negotiating and so on. Um, whether this makes sense is going to be down to two things. One is the terms 
If it is, as has been reported, a six-month loan, if the loan fee is reasonable, if Iguain somehow adjusts his, his wage demands, maybe even takes a teeny tiny pay cut, that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing for him. You have to be realistic. He has scored, I think, as many goals this season as Alvaro Morata has on a Milan side who are fifth in Serie A right now. So he's been up and down. He's a temperamental guy. He gets depressed. He gets upset. In terms of technical ability, You know, he is among the top two or three guys in the world, I think, without question. But there's more to football. Uh, there's more to football than that. And I also think simply because he played with Sadi before doesn't mean that he's played with Eden Hazard and William before. And so that might also be a little bit different. But I think what is interesting is that Chelsea opted to put their faith in Sadi perhaps this January in a way that they didn't do last season with, uh, with Antonio Conte. This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It is just £3 for three months in our January sale. Now, every Thursday at thetimes.co.uk, our very own Bill Edgar provides 11 trivia teasers for you, and here is one for you on this podcast. Which Manchester United defender, if he appears against Brighton and Hove Albion on Saturday, might see his birthday on an opposition player's shirt? Oh, that's okay. curious. Birthday. All right, so is... is is ball, I mean, is it the, the month? Is it the, yes, the, I mean, the it's, day? It's, it's quite vague. Is there somebody named Christmas? Or does Jamie Easter play for Brighton? Oh, gosh, maybe. Yeah, we, we're thinking numbers, but maybe it is person? something else. Oh, I like what you've done there. Do they have that defender, Hogmanay? No? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? You haven't got long to find out. Stick around until the end of the podcast to find out the answer. Now, on Monday's podcast, we spoke about the revelation that the Leeds manager, Marcelo Bielsa, had admitted to sending a club representative to spy on Derby County's training. On Wednesday, Bielsa doubled down and then some, announcing that he had, in fact, sent someone to watch every opponent train this season. Bielsa said this, it is not illegal. I thought I wasn't violating the norm. I gathered information that I can obtain in in another way. Uh, We feel guilty if we don't work enough. It allows us to have less anxiety. And in my case, I am stupid enough to allow this kind of behaviour. Henry, you said last week you felt this showed a lack of respect for his peers. What did you make then of Bielsa's announcement yesterday? Well, it showed a lack of respect for all his peers in the championship. I think uh, uh, it was interesting. I was at um, Southampton last night, and Lampard walked in smiling, obviously after the uh, the, the penalty win that uh, Derby had. And you know, he 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 was in most aggrieved about uh, the fact that um, he also had sent a member of his Leeds United coaching staff to go and spy on Derby's training before their meeting last Friday. And he he came out, he walked into the press conference last night, Lampard, and said, um, you know, we do analysis too. You're all ready for your presentation. So I think that, so first he took a, a offence at the fact that actually Frank's quite old school. He's like old school values. He thinks there should be, you know, respect, you know, amongst rivals. And he didn't feel he got that. Um, but also I think he was slightly annoyed this perception that only Bielsa is meticulous in his analysis. Um, 
And okay, so he's got three times the size of uh, coaching and backroom staff as Lampard's got at Derby. But I'm enough to spend a bit of time with Lampard this week and uh, at the training ground, and I know how much work analysis he puts in, and all the other managers in the Championship do as well. So, uh, what has Bielsa done wrong? The FA are investigating, and he'll probably get uh, a warning. Uh, the EFL are investigating. They may then have a, a rule change or, or tighten the rules. And there, there was a sort of, sort of effectively a club charter that, uh, that all clubs signed last season. And this is slightly against that. But but I think, for me, it's more down to the LMA. I think the LMA should be calling um, Bielsa to account because it is disrespectful to, uh, to, to, to his peers. They're all members of the same union. So it's disrespectful to send somebody to watch another team's training session? Okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's like, that. look, he's apologized for it. Uh, well, it's Sani, uh, the Leeds uh, owner, has apologized to Mel Morris, the, the, the Derby owner. Look, we, we can see all that. Uh, I think Lampard and Derby would like a little bit more contrition. But, uh, you know, the, the, the sadness in all this is that I know what's going to happen to a lot of uh, clubs now. The losers, losers will be fans because fans do like to go and uh, watch training. And a lot of them, you know, you can see through fans like going along and watching it. And I think now that will all be cleared away. So I think the the, the fans will lose that. I think there is an, other clubs will have found it um, disrespectful. The initial, what was interesting talking to people at Derby, their initial concern and why they got a call from one of their neighbours saying there's this guy who's spying on you. They actually thought it was a safeguarding issue because they've got academy kids there. So, you know, they, they have to focus on those sort of things as well as on the uh the, the spy but but to be honest i'm a huge fan of bielsa the moment he arrived in this country i went and watched one of his first games sat in one of his press conferences all the questions were about the fact that he sat on a bucket when i was thinking oh so we got one of the, the greatest visionary footballing minds in the country you know you talk to pochettino as a disciple of his tata martinez as Guardiola talks about Lampard's got his book. He's a great man. So as ever with the English press and public, we, we focus on the personality, whereas also we need to focus on his philosophy. And I thought his PowerPoint presentation yesterday, okay, a lot of clubs do this, but I thought it was absolutely fascinating. And I think any aspiring young manager in the country, like at St. George's Park, if they could go and listen to uh, Bielsa, I think it would be great. I think it would also be quite good if he talked about his own tactics rather than... Um, talking at length about Frank Lampard's tactics in public, but maybe that's a mischievous side. It's brilliant that he's in this country. I think it's extraordinary we've got a coach of that quality in the uh, in, in the championship, and I think when he comes um, up to the Premier League, it will be fireworks. It'll be absolutely brilliant. But one final thing I'll say is that what Bielsa has done, probably unintentionally, he's absolutely played into the Leeds United fan psyche. The culture of that club, 1975, we were robbed in the European Cup final. The authorities against us. This siege mentality is absolute manner for Bielsa. Whether he intended to press that individual button, I don't know. But it will absolutely provide that adrenaline within Ellen Road, that siege mentality that will drive Leeds United to the championship title. I think that sound you hear is the sound of everybody being played here. Henry's absolutely right. It's not a coincidence that Bielsa schedules his press conference for five o'clock, two and a half hours before Derby County kicks off. He knows exactly what he's doing. And then 70 minutes of you showing all, all, all this nonsense. All right, you're meticulous. What does it matter? Well, what I find incredibly interesting here, and, and Henry touched upon it too, the personalities, right? 
imagine if that weren't Frank Lampard, who I think pretty much everybody likes and and respects, and Marcelo Bielsa, who's doing very well, who maybe some people don't know, but obviously he's got a lot of pull with all those hipstery foreign football types and whatever else. So you've got these two geniuses. One might kind of mad and mysterious. Imagine if that had been somebody very few people like. Imagine if that had been Neil Warnock, you know, a guy who, when he opens his mouth, he instantly gets a ton of stick from other people. Or Alan Pardew, for example, right? Imagine if it had been one of those two guys attacking Bielsa. I think we would have had a different reaction. I don't think it matters how meticulous it is. I mean, Bielsa could just be a big brain on a life support machine watching video for 48 hours a day. It doesn't matter. If you break a norm, as he puts it, then you've broken a norm. What gets me is this idea of respect, right? So it's respectful to send an advance scout to every every time your, your, your next opponent plays. That's okay because the guy comes and you know he's there. In this case... From what was reported, a guy rocks up in an official Leeds United vehicle, stands on public ground. All this stuff about the pliers, the bolt cutters, blah, blah, blah. Hey, look, there's no pliers. There's no bolt cutters. It's just a guy standing there watching training. I remember back in 2004, uh, after Jose Mourinho took over at Chelsea, you used to be able to go down and watch Chelsea training pretty much every day. 2004, Jose Mourinho says, "Uh uh-uh, no more. Sorry, fans. We're not letting the public in to watch training anymore. I hope you understand. So if Jose Mourinho, who I'm pretty sure Frank Lampard was on that Jose Mourinho side, by the way, back then, understood this in 2004, what is so difficult to understand about this today? That people might want to go and watch other managers train. This is what I find absolutely extraordinary. I think... um you you have to give uh, clubs the chance to um plan their tactics in private so and and you have to draw a line somewhere so if somebody's um so for example you wouldn't want a, a member of the opposition listening through the manager's door the opposing manager's door you, you wouldn't want them climbing a tree using a long camera lens looking through the manager's office and looking at a tactics board or or flying a drone around the the training ground you know that that's presumably that people would agree that's going too far. You know you should have managers and coaches should have the chance to discuss things in private, make plans in private. But on the other hand, if somebody's standing in a public ground and and they're not doing something extraordinary like you know losing it using a long angle lens, um, it's I mean whether you think it's it's possibly slightly disrespectful. It's such a but it's so hard to police anyway. That that, um, that really you just have to let it go, and, and if he's standing on public ground, I, I think that's fine. Really, it, it's interesting that uh, there's not that much you can gain. Really, and this is what Bielsa said as well from watching a, another training session. And what is actually going to be the effect on the next match's result? I mean, you, you're going to improve your chances by 0.001 percent or something. I mean, I mean, it, it's, it's curious that clubs are prepared to prepared to offer injury information in the pre-match press conference if you say yeah my uh, star strike or whatever has got a bad leg and won't play i mean that's that's huge if if watching a training session is so advantageous 
then that's there's nothing compared with knowing that you're the opposition star well, striker is not the, playing. They know the information is going to get out. Not necessarily. If somebody's injured. No, not necessarily. I don't think it would get out. I, I mean, if it really would get out, then there's no point in the press conferences. I mean, it's a, well, you know, they the, ask the, about injuries in the press conferences. They ask about other stuff. Well, too. they do, yeah, but they, I know they do. But the, this information is offered by managers. They say, my, you know, the, I mean, I know lots of them because it's lie basically or they public information. It. But I it's mean, not the public days information. when Sir Alex. Was it's not public information. Oh, we have fifty guys who are injured, and then you see them play the next day are over i mean well it's not public information it's, it, if it was then they wouldn't the manager wouldn't need to say that clearly it's not I mean, lots of people will know i know but but not everybody it's right. the manager says it and all the media says harry kane's injured you know if he hadn't there'd have been a bit of speculation about it but uh, it was mentioned before by, by henry about the charter that all clubs signed and under the uh, governance rules of the EFL section 2 rule 3.4 it says this in all matters relating to the league each club shall behave towards each other club and the league with the utmost good faith what Leeds have done is is not with the utmost good faith is it? That that depends on this is is what really bugs me right I mean I have a lot of issues with the uh, EFL governance Um, but goodness me Write something specific, right? Good faith. That can mean anything to anybody, right? They, they purposely write these rules that are so open-ended so that they can gauge the public sentiment and decide based on that. And I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll tell you what's going to happen here. I think Henry's absolutely right. Bielsa's going to get a warning, and it's going to go away. Why? Because Bielsa has played this in a certain way that now we're all talking, well, look, he's so meticulous. It doesn't matter how meticulous he is, like I said. If he did something wrong, he did something wrong, right? So they're not going to get off their fence. They're not going to go and make a stand about, about this one way or another and say it's okay, it's not okay. They're going to warn him. They'll probably use wishy-washy language again to show respect, and they're just going to wait for all of this to go away. So, you know, they can put their charter up their nose for all I care. This is just not good governance. But then again, not the first time we've seen this from the Football League. Hi there, and welcome to The Sweeper, the Times' fancy football tip service. I'm Charlie Scott with Paddy Monbert. Hello. And we're here to talk about game week 23. Yes, I think we're there now. <laughs> we're getting there, aren't we? Um, yeah. Time's running out to arrest my current decline, but um, enough of my moaning. Um, two big injuries this week really dominated the fantasy headlines, didn't they? Harry Kane was the first one. Absolutely. Kane, who has injured his ankle, he's out until at least the beginning of March. Tottenham are often very cryptic about injuries as well, so it wouldn't surprise me if that was the middle of March slash late March. Um, so, replacing Harry Kane... I had a look through, and it's interesting. Kane is the second top-scoring forward, but there are only four forwards who have scored more than 100 points this season. And looking at the midfielders, there's 11 midfielders who have scored more than 100 points, which makes me think better to look a bit cheaper in the forward department. I mean, Marcus Rashford at 7.5 million is great value, and then that allows you to just plough those money into midfield where there's a lot of value to be had. Yeah, I think, um, strange as it might sound, a Kane injury could be a bit of a blessing for managers who have him because... You have to sell him, obviously, and when the best options are Rashford, Jimenez, maybe even Danny Ings, that gives you so much money to play with that if you're without Mohamed Salah, you can easily get him, or you can upgrade three other players across your squad at the same time while taking maybe an eight-point hit, avoid having to play the wild card necessarily, and suddenly you've revamped a squad that you weren't necessarily that happy with beforehand. Yeah, that's it. I mean, say you did those three strikers, Jimenez, Rashford, Ings, you could feasibly have Salah, Hazard, and Sterling, or Sane, which... Yeah. And a couple of premium defenders, maybe a good keeper. I mean, 
you wouldn't have to rely on such budget options, which which you've had to if you had Kane, Salah, and Hazard for the past few weeks. So yeah, absolutely. And another injury that's flown under the radar a little bit because of Kane, but Trent Alexander Arnold out for a month. Liverpool struggling a bit. Um, it means I think James Milner plays more at right back, which means Salah doesn't take penalties. That's a bit of a niche analysis on that. But um, looking at replacements, there's some pretty obvious options. I think Luke Shaw is playing for a good Man United side now. Lucas Dina is basically a winger. Um, Jan Bednarek is less than four million and starting for Southampton side who have some nice games coming up um, so you're not sure of options there but obviously you've just got to use a transfer on that which is a pain yeah I mean we we spoke about potentially the wild card options last week with the second wild card still I would hold fire if you can make the changes replacing Kane and Alexander-Arnold and take a minus four minus eight point net I think that's worth doing rather than going wild and playing the wild card now I agree. Uh, much more of that in this week's email. Um, if you sign up at thetimes.co.uk forward slash fantasy football, pop your email address in and you'll get an email from us on Friday morning. Yeah, and as always, there's a Facebook group where you can get our feedback on your teams or transfer tips, etc. Just search for The Sweeper on Facebook. Time now for our weekly predictions game. A reminder that I lead 11-6 this season. But of course, Gab, you were victorious in our first outing yes, of 2019. calendar year 2019, I am undefeated. One up, you are one up. All right then, we've spoken about Arsenal against Chelsea. Big game to come on Saturday night. Go on then, you tell me what you're going for. Uh, I'm not going for an Ozil hat-trick. Um, <laughs> really? I think Chelsea can do it. I think Chelsea can trip them up after the kind of week that they've had with Mislintat and Ozil and all this nonsense. And, you know, Ramsey, we expect the contract soon. Um, So I'm going to say Chelsea to win 2-1. Ooh, okay. Interesting. Oh, everything you've just said, it doesn't make me want to sway my what I thought. But I'm actually going to go with an Arsenal win. I'm going to go for a 2-1 Arsenal win. Wow. Yeah, I know. A bit different. Huddersfield and Manchester oh. City. My man Wags has left the building. Yes. I, I I do feel a little a little bad for him. Um, and of course, there's no Aaron Moy. Yes, which is the guy we always we always have to mention Aaron Moy Aaron or Moy. Philip Billing when uh, when Huddersfield <laughs> play. Uh, they take on Manchester City. Oh. Um, Doesn't get any easier for them, does it? But bottom of the table as well. Mm. It's at Huddersfield Crown. The, yes. Which, did it used to be called the McAlpine? It, many years ago. What is it now? <clears throat> John, John Smith's. Good bit like of fair, yeah. bitter, is it? Or some yeah. sort of yeah. drink? Is it, is it, right, John yeah. Smith is some kind of northern beer that people drink? Yeah. John Smith's bitter. Yeah. Was that the ad with the guy where they were <laughs> juggling the ball and he like boots it and says, Abbott? Oh, I don't know. I can't uh, remember. Was, that, was, it, was it like does with Peter Kay or something? <laughs> oh, maybe. Right. I don't I'm, know. I'm, I'm too does old. That, does, that, does that impact your no. prediction for this one? <laughs> City to win 3 0. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm going for a City 4 0 win. 4 0? Yeah. Game on. Uh, London Derby at Craven Cottage. Fulham against Tottenham. That's on the Sunday. Uh, you've predicted two, first of all, so I'll go first this time, just I to be fair. fair. Yes, exactly. I am going to go for a 2-1 Tottenham win. Showing no faith in Craig and Claudio. <laughs> well, I'm going to go in the other direction. No. Well, yeah, there's no Harry Kane. I know. That's the there's, no, um, there, there, there's no home in Son. There's no Moussa Dembele. Hasn't been for long. There's, there, there's been no... You know what's amazing about Tottenham? Did Dyer and Wanyama, I feel like these guys have been gone for, for months. I mean, I know Wanyama really has been. Dyer probably mm. less so. They haven't missed a beat. I think at some point chickens come home to roost. And of course, it's such a raucous, fiery, intimidating cauldron at Craven Cottage. 
So, yeah, I'm going to go for the Fulham victory, 1-0. Ooh, interesting. Okay. In your wheelhouse, Natalie. Yes. Forest mm. and Bristol City. Bristol City, who I know this, they're managed by the clever guy who's Dad used to be the Latvia manager yes. or Yeovil, yes. Gary something or other. Johnson, yes. And his son's name is... Lee. Lee Johnson, there yes. you go. And they're taking on two-time European Cup winners, Nottingham Forest, mm. managed by two-time <gasps> European Cup winner, Martin O'Neill. Yes. Did he win both of them? Was he on the team for both? Uh, you I sure? think he played in, played in one. Was he, just he was in a substitute in one of them, the, yeah, 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 I think. All right. At the city ground then. Um, hmm... This I I I oh, I'm not sure about this one. I am actually. When you say at the city ground, you mean it's not actually at the, at the city ground. <laughs> no, it's at the city. The ground. city ground. Nottingham Forest are at home. Are at home. Yes, this is right. Quite, not at quite. Bristol City's ground. Not just, at Bristol just for the City's of ground. Dark. No, they are at Forest. I think. Oh, I think this might be a bit tight. I'm going for a one-one draw. Mm, interesting one. I may join you in that Ooh. prediction. Um, I expect uh, a nil-nil with really? uh, yes, with a lot of okay. uh, green buses parked. <laughs> Syria returns. This is your neck of the woods now, isn't it? Yes. Syria, uh, and we've got a massive one. I say it returns. That's because they've been on uh, on a winter break. Um, we've got Napoli against Lazio. Yeah, uh, Lazio this season have a history of. Um, of getting points against smaller teams, uh, less so against bigger ones. Mm. They're away from home, Napoli. They either score early and then score a lot of goals or they struggle and they score late. I think one way or another, Napoli are getting this. I'm going to say mm. Napoli to win 1-0. Oh, okay. I've done my research on, on Napoli. And for the last few seasons, they always seem to hammer Lazio in one of their games in the league. Last season, they won actually both games 4-1. The season before that, they won 3-0. And in 2015, they were 5-0 winners. Yeah. So, I'm going for a 3-1 win for Napoli. Mm, there you go. Just yes. to put some pressure on uh, league-leading Juventus. Just time to give you the answer to Bill Edgar's trivia teaser. We asked which Manchester United defender, if he appears against Brighton and Hove Albion on Saturday, might see his birthday on an opposition player's shirt. Now, Bill, obviously, first of all, you think of the numbers, and then obviously, then Gab brilliantly started thinking about the names and what that, that could mean. And perhaps I was thinking of Bong. Bong. Because I was assuming that's what. Bill was indulging in when he wrote this question, but it, so it's perplexed us a little. Well, the answer is Marcus Rojo, and I just uh, have to add that he's unlikely to play, but he is fitting around the club because he's talking of moving. But the reason his um, birthday's on an opposition player's shirt is that his birthday is March the twentieth. Solly March, yes, and Solly March was number 20. twenty. Yeah, that was his homage to Marcus Rojo because he had Rojo's picture up on his wall when he grew up. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, that's, I didn't that's even think really of the month. about Solly March. Oh, that's a good one, Bill. Because, of Very course, good. I knew that Marcus Rojo was born in March 20th. Yes, yes, if only you put the two and two together. OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Bill Edgar and Henry Winter. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online, from The Times mostly, and also on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £3 for three months in our January sale. I think that's a deal and a half. Mm -hmm. Search The Times subscription for more information.
We'll be back on Monday after another action-packed Premier League weekend. How psyched are we that it's an action-packed Premier League weekend? Who not doesn't love action <laughs> The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Undaria Algae Body Oil and Undaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.